Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, Marital Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And, Man, I, I feel great. and I'm Sydney McElroy. Friday, right? Yeah. Woo. Feeling good? You happy? Feeling good, feeling Friday. Got that sun outside. Yeah, this warm weather is, Woo. yes. Energizing. Is. Got my D, got my C, that's mm-hmm. coffee. I'm growing plants outside again. Yeah, you said they're starting to perk up a little bit. Too. I know. I, I was so frustrated. worried. I was so worried. My herbs were not responding well at the beginning of the season, and I thought there was the frost where I didn't get them in, oh. and they, they got snowed on. And I oh, I thought they were done for. Yeah, but they're growing again. So all is well. They just had to chill for. I don't know. If you think it would I, be, I don't know anything about that. You might be thinking, oh man, I'd love to hear Sydney do a gardening podcast. I bet that'd be so relaxing. Let me simulate the experience for you. They're never going to grow. It's never growing. It's never going to grow. I enjoyed this so much last last year. It's never growing. They're all dead. I'm a failure every day. And then eventually they perk up. They're growing really well. They're growing and really I'm very well. happy. It's a much more relaxing episode. Though. Fire and ice. Fire and ice. Fire and ice. <laughs> That's life with me. What are we talking about this week, Sid? Uh, Justin, kind of building off of last week's episode yeah. where we talked about the TikTok trend of eating papaya seeds to rid yourself of parasites that most likely aren't there. Mm-hmm. And also it's probably ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned that there is this sort of kind of, com- I don't want to say it's a common belief, but it is definitely something that you, that you find out there in the internet of a fear that you have parasites and a lot of people who are willing to build off that fear by selling you products related Pills to that or, or, or whatever, or just, or just knowledge. Like a lot of it isn't even here's some pills. It's just join our community and we'll tell you some weird stuff you can eat at home. Yeah. Um, a lot of it built on the idea that like doctors lie and there's conspiracy and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and we mentioned briefly delusional parasitosis, which is the the fixed belief that you are infested mm-hmm. with some sort of parasite, worm, bug, something, uh, but it is not, it is not actually physically there. Which is like weirdly... I don't know. Maybe I'm I, I'm a layman, so I might have a, a skewed perspective of this because I'm just drawing on the experience of hearing you talk about like your studies. But it seems like a of all the delusions one could have in the entire world, it seems like s- strangely common. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's a stra- it's like specifically like this is one that pops up a lot, which is considering it's a delusion mm-hmm. is weird, right? Like you wouldn't think that it would just be like there'd be a common theme. It is. It is really interesting because you can see. And I should say I have a little bit more experience with this than probably your average family doctor 
just because I did extra training in my career in um, tropical medicine and global health, and I've taken some extra courses uh, in parasitology and that kind of thing. So um, when you do that sort of medicine, sometimes these patients who have this condition can find you. And I was found by multiple people who were hoping that with my credentials and expertise, I might be able to find the parasite that they were convinced that they had. So, mm. so I have cared for people with this. Um, and, and I can attest to how whatever your feelings are about if there is a parasite or not, it is a very difficult disorder for the person who has it. It's very challenging to treat if you're trying to help someone with it. It's, it's a, it can really take over someone's life. So I can't imagine that sense of always being invaded, mm-hmm. always being, you know, having yes. something going on in your body against your will. That must be very troubling. And it can be part of, this can be one feature of other psychiatric um, diagnoses. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have an underlying psychiatric condition, and part of that is this delusion, along with maybe some other delusions or hallucinations or things like that. But what I really want to focus on is what um, is also known as Ekbom's syndrome, which is just the the isolated delusion that you are infested with parasites. Um, just that, that fixed. And by delusion, I mean a fixed belief that is not factual. So it is not right. something that we could just talk you out of. It is it is very firmly implanted in your brain. This is something that is true. So it it is named for the Swedish neurologist Carl Axel Ekbom, who actually he is best known, which this is where you may have heard of Dr. Ekbom. Where I, a, a, <laughs> a, a layman. May have heard of him. No, but uh, he's best known for his description of restless leg syndrome. Okay. You've heard of that? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Ekbom also is credited with being the, the primary physician to describe that condition and, and kind of the underlying, like what it is. In fact, sometimes restless leg syndrome is called Willis-Eckbaum syndrome, although I've never heard anybody say that. Okay, um, so not that common. Yeah, but it can be known as that. One if somebody might even says wonder that, why you chose to relay that information. <laughs> you, you might hear it called this. You won't, but Well, you might. it's actually important to why. Okay. It, it really does matter, I promise. Okay. Uh, I mean, kind of tangentially. It explains something. Matters to Willis. I bet. Remember Willis is. Remember that cat. Um, it's interesting, though. I was reading about this, and there aren't a lot of, I guess, eponyms in specifically in um, psychiatry. And so it's weird that the, this guy gets two. Ekbom mm. got a couple of them. Yeah. Um, not that restless leg syndrome is a psychiatric di- disorder. It's neurologic. But anyway, the point is he got a couple eponyms. However, he did not call it Ekbom syndrome. He was not that kind of guy. Um, he called it uh, dermatozoan wan. Dermatozoan wan. Which literally translates to... Skin animal delusion or delusional parasitosis would be the English that we would take from that. Okay. He didn't name it after himself. That came later. In this disorder, people are laboring under this fixed delusion that they have been infested with something. He dubbed what he would call the pathognomonic feature. Pathognomonic means like the hallmark of something. If you okay. see this, it is almost always indicative of this disorder, right? This symptom or sign. He said the pathognomonic feature is the, quote, matchbox sign. Do you have any guesses what the matchbox sign would be? The sign that... 
Why would he call it? What is it? Ignites it. That strikes up against it and sets it aflame. <laughs> he called the it, the matchbox sign is when a patient brings you something to investigate, to look at oh. closer. And back then, it would usually be carried in something like a matchbox because they're usually tiny, like, flecks of things, particles, pieces. That name has changed over time because not a lot of people bring me matchboxes anymore. Is it a Ziploc? But at the time, no. yeah. Ziploc thing? A Ziploc bag sign or a um, Tupperware sign. I'm sure both of those brands are super <laughs> associated. But the idea is that it was very common for sufferers of this condition to collect bits of things from their body, put them in something like a matchbox and bring them to the doctor so that they could look at them under the microscope and see what this was that they had been um, infested with. Um, Because, so uh, these patients all experienced a sensation of formication. 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 (laughs) That is the sensation that like bugs are crawling under your skin. And so it can be like an itching, a crawling, that whole sensation. You may have experienced it. Most of us have for some reason yeah. at some time. Yeah. And because they were experiencing that sensation, the patients would often damage their own skin through scratching, picking, trying to remove the insect. So a lot of these patients would present with the sensation of bugs crawling, mm-hmm. the fixed belief that they had some sort of parasite, mm-hmm. and then also a lot of skin wounds from self-injury basically trying to remove the parasites. After his initial case series, so he, and I'm going to get into some of the things that he wrote about in his first publication, which he published in 1938, um, and everybody sort of became aware of this. That is when it got the name Ekbom syndrome. But because restless leg syndrome was also connected to Ekbom, there was a lot of confusion. Mm. That is why that matters. Okay. So eventually they dropped Ekbom syndrome for delusional parasitosis and just Got called it. it delusional parasitosis. In Ekbom's work, he talks about previous case reports of this phenomenon. So there had been prior to 1938, like scattered writings from different doctors here and there about like, hey, I had a patient. They had this thing. Here's what I did. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it had not been sort of um, united cohesively under one Condition described, and that's what you do, like, especially back then when we were still trying to understand all these different diagnoses, you would need some sort of, like, paper, like, landmark paper that would take the time to collect all of the available information about that condition and unite it under one sort of theory. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing in this in this case series that he published. The thought had been up to that point in these isolated cases that it was a psychiatric condition, that the, there was nothing actually happening physically in the patient's skin. It was, you know, something with the brain. One doctor claimed to have treated it successfully with just like psychoanalysis. Like he talked the patient out of it. it. Yeah. A couple other doctors had claimed that opium fixed it. As it does most things. (laughs) Um, Ekbaum decided that he was going to, he worked uh, first in a neurology clinic and then later in a psychiatric hospital. And so he saw patients with this and he decided to kind of form his own opinion based on cases he was personally caring for. Um, In all of the cases he talks about in the paper, uh, which I read, it's available online if you're interested to read his original work. In each case, there are some things that are very, that are all in common. Okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that uh, somehow a bug got to them and invaded them. 
a bug, a worm, a parasite, something. Um, it either came from another person. There was one uh, case of like they had borders in their house and someone had stayed in their house that they thought was sick and then they found something in the sheets later and they thought, okay, yeah, that's yeah. how it got in me. They had to sleep in like an unclean apartment. There was one that they thought their apartment was very damp and that mm -hmm. that was why they got it. Um, or they held some object that turned out to be infested. Sometimes people would say they were outside and like brushed against something, felt the immediate stinging sensation and bam, there you yeah. go. Um, everybody had sort of like a very fixed story as to when and how. Traumatic usually or just sort of mm -mm. benign? Usually just benign every day kind of happened. Hmm. And then they, you know, obviously believed that they had been invaded at that point. Um, it would start with that sort of sensation and then build into the finding of the parasite, finding of the bugs. So first you have the sensation and then you start finding them. Either you're seeing worms, you're seeing small bugs. Sometimes they would be described as like little white globular kind of things. Sometimes they were black or brown or crusty. Sometimes like literally big round worms I saw come out of me, um, whether it be in my stool or I coughed them up or vomited them up or I dug them out of my skin. All of these things. Um, many patients insisted this was a brand new organism. Science didn't know about it. Doctors didn't know about it. That's why they were having so much trouble um, getting somebody to figure it out is because they had discovered something that no one ever had before. That yeah. was pretty common. All of them had some sort of itching or discomfort, right? We had much lesser fine tools back then for looking for this kind of stuff too. So it makes more sense that something could escape our Yes. Perception. Uh, and it was in, you know, we're still sort of constantly making these discoveries at this point. Sure. So... Um, so it fit with that. Um, and then they had all taken measures to remove these parasites somehow, either by well, one patient burned her skin with matches oh. to kill them and, and remove them. Others would just scratch with their fingers or like a kitchen spoon, some sort of object, um, apply caustic substances to their skin. Like a lot of them would put bleach or something like that to try to kill them. They all suffered from wounds related to their treatments and all were completely, completely convinced of this. Yeah. There was no talking the patients that he saw out of this delusion. Um, now, what's interesting is unlike his predecessors who felt that this was purely a psychiatric condition, he sort of was of the the opinion that while it is not a parasite, he did not feel in any way. He never was able to find any sort of parasite on them through any of his, you know, he would look under a microscope at all the things they would bring in and nothing was ever a parasite. But he did feel that there was some sort of sensation that they were truly experiencing mm. that that whatever it is itching crawling burning sensation was absolutely real and they were misinterpreting it so not completely neurological is or psychiatric yes not completely psychiatric now he did say though that that what is interesting what he said is you know if you did have like itching that you couldn't control most people probably would not believe it to be an infestation of a parasite. Or if they did think they had a parasite, if they went to the doctor, the doctor checked them out and did these tests and all this and then said, no, it's not a parasite. He felt that most patients would say, okay, I accept that as, as the right. truth. So there is something different about these patients who are convinced despite medical evidence to the contrary, the right? Patient, like right. that, that is different. They're willing to hold on to that belief despite all yes. evidence to the contrary. But he says at the end of his paper, you know, treatment is still kind of a mystery. Um, he found that opium was not routinely helpful. He tried things like bromide and phenobarbital, which he didn't feel helped much. Um, 
the uh, one patient said the opium, by the way, made the bugs calmer. So oh. the sensations were less because it chilled them out, but yeah. <laughs> but they were still there. Um, topical, like itch relief creams, basically, to stop was somewhat helpful, like for the symptoms to patients, but it didn't do anything for the belief that they had a parasite. Um, one patient was helped by moving to a new apartment because mm. they felt like it was not infested. Mm. So that, that helped them a great deal. Um, and over the years uh, since this description, the disease, despite Ekbom's sort of assertion that, like, I do think there is something maybe that we don't know about in their skin that's causing itching or in their brain or in their nerves or something is causing itching mm-hmm. um, under uh, along with the psychiatric, you know, component. Uh, it was largely seen as a psychiatric condition. Um, there are other causes for the sensation of itching, but basically this fixed belief is psychiatric in nature. Um, there are some cases that we would eventually discover were associated with like amphetamine use. Mm. This is a this is a common side effect of people who use methamphetamines, especially yeah. if you're um, abusing methamphetamines. I feel like I that's something say. you see depicted in pop culture a lot, like somebody who is afflicted like that, like scratching themselves and yes. trying to claw at themselves. Away. Well, and it is that sensation. So they experience that sensation, and so they can scratch or pick at their skin because of that sensation, trying to relieve it. And they may develop a belief as well that they have some sort of parasite in their skin, and I have seen that too. Um, although it is not necessarily as fixed because in a lot of those patients, if they stop using methamphetamines, eventually that will go away. The sensation goes away. The belief goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of a different thing. I want to talk about, though, in 2002 when a new wrinkle is introduced to okay. this whole idea. All righty. I could use a break because I have become extremely itchy by listening to you. <laughs> that is a side effect. But before we do that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals 
right to your door and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high quality chef crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're going to talk about pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Now, Sid, you you said you discovered a new wrinkle in this in this particular mystery. Well, I didn't discover a new wrinkle. Well, you, something else happened. Okay. In two thousand two, uh, this I mean, because this like at this point, this is something that we know happens. We know, as I'll get into, is incredibly difficult for the patient who's experiencing it, and is a very challenging disorder to try and help someone um, treat and or, or cure or overcome. In 2002, uh, a, a woman named Mary Letow became convinced that her young son had uh, a new, unknown, undescribed medical condition. He had some sores around his mouth, and she found what she thought was some sort of um, multicolored thread-like object in them, mm-hmm. uh, hair-like, thread-like, something like that, and she took him to the doctor. The doctor couldn't find anything in particular wrong. So she took him to more doctors. Mm-hmm. He saw lots of doctors, specialists, dermatologists, infectious disease specialists. Um, and basically, she became convinced that there was some sort of condition that involved these hair-like particles causing sores in the skin mm. of her son, and then her theory was probably other people, that was new to science, had never been found before, um, and the doctors were either just not listening or involved in some sort of conspiracy mm. as to why they weren't recognizing start, it. This is a good start, Sid. Um, All bad stuff starts this way. She she examined the fibers herself under a microscope, like a toy microscope they had at the house, and she felt like these are new to science. These are something that nobody's ever seen before. 
the doctors that her son was seeing uh, eventually would diagnose Munchausen's by proxy, believing that uh, there was no actual, or at least this was not the medical condition that her son was experiencing and that she was seeing symptoms that weren't there, believing in things or creating things. Something was happening in order for this but there was not a medical condition. Gotcha. That the primary problem was a psychiatric condition on the part of her. Um, she, of course, disagreed with this. Uh, she decided that if the doctors wouldn't listen to her, she was going to have to sort of build a community to agree with her and to fight for this cause. So first, you have to name it, right? Okay. You've discovered a new disease. You feel that it is up to you to bring it to public awareness. So she called it Morgellons. Have you heard of Morgellons? No, never. I, I heard of Morgellons originally from someone I saw who was convinced they had it. Mm -hmm. um, and there that introduced me to the world of the internet where it exists and the, the papers, if you can use that word, that have been published about it. The word Morgellons, the name for the condition, it, the root of that is really interesting where this comes from. Right, like where, where did she find this name? Why? is a reference to a document called A Letter to a Friend Upon Occasion of the Death of His Intimate Friend. It was written in 1656. Mm. It's a really long time ago. Really long. By Sir Thomas Brown, who was a philosopher and a physician. And he's writing a letter to his friend because his friend's friend just died of tuberculosis, mm -hmm. right? And he sends him this very lengthy, you can read it, it's all available. He sends him this very lengthy letter where he sort of, first of all, he's describing the the death by tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And it's been sort of debated, is he actually describing the death of the young man or is he just describing like what, what we know so far, what tuberculosis is like kind of from the right. perspective of a physician. Either way, he talks about that case. And then he sort of muses about different medical conditions and kind of where we are in that knowledge. And then just like generally about the human condition. Um, it becomes this sort of expansive, thoughtful, you know, letter where he's he's really just sort of talking about life and humanity. And he gives advice towards the end about living a good life and making the most of your life and that kind of thing. So it's this, it's this long, expansive, thoughtful, personal document that okay. he didn't publish at the time, by the way. It would be found and published after his death later. So it wasn't really even something that he was trying to like- Get the word out about. Get the word out about. But in this letter- he talks about an odd condition that is isolated to this one French province where children, and I mean, it's literally two sentences. Children develop hairs on their backs and then they get convulsions and coughs. And he named it Morgellons. It's, I mean, literally, you can find it. It's like two sentences. And based on that, she named this condition Morgellons, great, thinking that great, great. this may be connected in some way. Sure, perfect, yeah. As you may already guess, mm -hmm. nobody believes this is connected to whatever Sir Thomas Brown was writing about in 1656. No. There is no, I mean, not even proponents of Morgellons, people who believe that Morgellons is an actual parasitic disease, they don't believe that it is the same thing whatever the heck Thomas Brown was talking about. But that is where this name comes from. That is why it is called Morgellons. That is the strange history of the name. Um, 
she formed a, a foundation uh, for this to raise awareness, to raise money, to get research into this condition. Um, a lot of internet groups spun off from this. As soon as this was sort of put out there, yes. a lot of people found her and said, I have it too, or I, my child has it, or my friend has it, or my neighbor has it. Um, obviously yes. not isolated to children. Lots of different... You know, all over the globe, lots of different ages. Tale as old as um, Found this and, and joined her in her quest to get more research uh, done. Mm -hmm. um, enough lobbying was done that Congress asked the CDC to form a team and investigate. This real thing. Morgellons. Yeah. Um, and they did. They did. They put together a, a large multidisciplinary team to take samples from these patients, analyze them, take their histories, take their stories, and try to figure out, is this really a medical condition that for whatever reason doctors have decided to ignore, neglect, conspire against? Mm -hmm. Or is this maybe not, and it's actually a collection of different symptoms, disorders, whatever, that maybe are difficult to diagnose or for whatever reason people haven't figured out yet and then we're just sort of collecting under this, like a basket, that we're just tossing them all in even though they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Um, the report was published in 2012 and basically it found no evidence of any sort of new organisms, any sort of parasitic infestation, Goose. infection, anything like Big that. Show. Nothing. Goose egg. Um, they analyzed fibers from over a hundred different patients, and most of them were just cotton. Yeah. Like from clothes and things like that. There, it's the things you would imagine would leave fibers on your skin. And that study put an end to it. That's why everybody deleted their Facebook groups and moved on with their lives. No, <laughs> that's not the end of the story. I will say that the I think the foundation is not in operation mm -hmm. currently. There was that movie that came out within the last. Remember, we almost watched it under under their skin, under our skin. Oh, yeah. It's a documentary that, oh, that talks about this. Anyway, there is still an active community that believes in this, even though the, the report from the CDC was pretty definitive that this is not. Morgellons is not a a unique parasitic infection, but another a, a specific form of delusional parasitosis. Um, especially the differentiating factor between like Morgellons and the the general term delusional parasitosis. People who have Morgellons believe that these fibers are inanimate objects that are in them somehow. Mm. I mean, and uh, in terms of like where people think they come from, you get wildly different explanations. Um, for some people, it is aliens. Uh, for some people, it is some sort of parasite. It you could not, be you, uh, you get conspiracy aliens. theories like the government, chemicals, five uh, G, radiation. I mean, all those kinds of hey, things. It's five G. Um, that's wild. If it popped up in two thousand two, I'm going to go ahead and put the five G <laughs> thing to bed right now. I'm reading the headlines. It, it does look like aliens are a thing that's happening right now. So I, maybe the aliens. Um, I've I've heard people say things like nanoparticles that are implanted from like insects that the government have deployed. Drones. I, I mean, you get lots of um, from the very mundane sort of like I think that there is a worm in my skin. To 
much larger conspiracy theory base. I mean, it really depends on who you're talking to. That's you the, get a wide array of explanations from the patients themselves. But that's the fun of make pretend is that there's no bound. There don't have to be any boundaries well, on it because the only limit is your imagination. But I think I think that this is one of those times though where you really have to remember where the the damage has been done, not by these people who I think a lot of them unfortunately have an undiagnosed, untreated psychiatric condition in the sense that they have delusional parasitosis. And instead of seeking care from a psychiatrist, because of the delusion, they're not going to go to a psychiatrist they're, or somebody who can help them with behavioral health. They're going to go to a dermatologist or an infectious disease specialist or a parasitologist or somebody like that. And then unfortunately, what they'll eventually find is one of these charlatans mm -hmm who will feed into that delusion and claim that they also believe it, whether they do or not, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but will sell them things and give them things and call, have them come back for appointments and pay them to treat them for something. I mean, that that is unfortunately, it's the same thing we've talked about with chronic Lyme disease, and which is not an actual condition. There is post-Lyme disease treatment syndrome, but there is not a chronic form of Lyme disease. But there are these quote unquote Lyme literate physicians Ugh. who will Ugh. who will endorse that as real, even though it's not, and will treat you with antibiotics for years, even though that is completely not evidence-based and will not help you in any way and may harm you. You'll find the same thing with Morgellons uh, and other delusional parasitosis type flavors of it, so to speak. But people who suffer from this it's very similar to these early cases from ACBOM. They believe that this organism is new. They believe that, you know, nobody is going to be able to tell them about it because it's new. It's new. How, can you address how you, like, keep a therapeutic relationship with a patient like this where you you cannot grant them the thing that you would need as a basis of trust, which would be this is real, we're working on it together. Like, how do you treat someone while not acknowledging or not validating what they the, think is their chief complaint? The, the okay, so the recommendations on how to treat this, I have found in my practice are not um, very successful. I don't, and I don't know. I used to think it was just me. Maybe I'm very bad at this, but I had other physicians that I worked with who were, who had way, way more years of experience in this area and had as little success as I did. So maybe yeah. it's just that difficult. Um, or maybe I'm bad at it. I don't know. But the recommendations are that you, I mean, you can't agree. Like that is not, that is not the way for something like this to agree that there is a parasite there that you know factually isn't. Mm -hmm. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I always take the time to, first of all, there are lots of other things that can cause the sensation of bugs crawling in your skin, formication or, or itching. So investigate all of those things. There are a lot of lab tests and diagnostic studies that you may need to do in addition to a very detailed history and physical examination. I did take the time to look at things under the microscope. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like I will take the time. You, you took the time to put this in a Tupperware and bring it to me. I will look at it for you because then I am able to confidently walk in the room and say, this is a piece of cotton. That is all that, or this is a scab. This is just a scab that you've picked off of you. It is not a bug. And I can feel very confident saying those things. There are some recommendations that you should, you could treat with some sort of antiparasitic. Mm -hmm. I never did that because I, I felt, I feel like that that violates informed consent. 
I don't believe you have a parasite, so why am I giving you a drug right, that I right. don't think you need? I, I have a lot of problems with that. So I could not— like, It's like magic feather territory, yes, right? Yes, so that yeah. is not something that I feel comfortable with. Um, I do think that treatments for the skin and the itching are totally fine because you are experiencing those sensations. So, like, here's some medicines for the itching. Treat the wounds— Make sure there's no infections. There were often skin infections on top of that. So treat those. Talk about proper wound care. Talk about the importance of, you know, if you're having these sensations, you still like digging at your skin and scratching at your skin or putting bleach on your skin. Please stop these things and right. talking about those dangers. So like helping to stop the self-harm behaviors in that way. That was an area I focused a lot on. And then the other thing that they recommend is to just continue to insist, you know, I really think an antipsychotic medication would help you with these symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, eventually, patients will agree to take one. And there have been case reports that suggest that if a patient will start routinely taking one of those medications that address psychosis, including like delusions and hallucinations, that there is success there in some patients. Um, I haven't found like widespread numbers that everybody gets better, but like there is some success there. And then I think it's a multidisciplinary approach. You need a doctor that you know and trust to work with. If you need to work in conjunction with like a psychiatrist or a psychologist, a counselor, somebody like that, and the dermatologist who they first go to, or for me as the family doctor they first go to, or the infectious disease specialist they first go to, working together in sort of a multidisciplinary team could be really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. Because then you're not just, because the hardest thing is a lot of these patients just get passed on from person to person. Like, no, it's yeah. not that. Leave. Like, you know, the, the your derm condition is that you're picking at your skin. Stop it. Go home. You have to engage with, this is difficult. This is going to require a lot more help. Mm -hmm. I need to gain your trust that I am trying to help you. And maybe the help doesn't look like you think it should look, but I promise you if we work together, we can we can together come up with a plan mm -hmm. without ever like, I mean, I would never endorse just going along with the delusion. I think that's wrong. I mean, you're lying. And I mean, you don't you have to lie. sound so accusatory. I wasn't suggesting that you No, but that. it's tough. It's it's a tough, it, it's, it's incredibly tough. And as, And every time I think like, oh, it's so tough to treat, it is exponentially harder for the person who's suffering from it. Um, and so that's why, like, and of course, I should mention, it has been tied over time to chronic Lyme and tick-borne illness. There are a lot of doctors. Or not a lot of doctors. There are people in this area. Some of them are doctors. Some of them are just advocates who insist it's all connected. It's all connected. And I have a, I have a chart. <laughs> Look over here at my court board. You see, it's all connected. <laughs> and these are the people that make me mad. Not the patients. The patients are suffering. Nobody would choose this. Nobody would choose to believe they're infected with a parasite that no one can see or treat or cure, and they're constantly damaging their own skin in an attempt to remove it. Nobody would ever choose that, right? Right. I get mad at the people who see that suffering and see the opportunity to make a buck or to make a name for themselves. Those are the people I get mad at. Yeah. Not the patients. The patients are suffering. Yes. And maybe, you know, I, I think that there is at least this to be said. There is no parasite here. There is no Morgellons organism. There is no magical hair-like thing that's causing this. There is no thread worm thing that's causing this. There's none of these worms that people think that none of that is true in these cases. Okay. I, no. But they might be itchy. Maybe Ekbom was right. Maybe, maybe they itchy. are itchy. And maybe we just need to work a little harder to figure that piece of it out, too. Obviously, there is a psychiatric component for many of these patients. 
But there's also people who are itchy. Some people, guys, some people are itchy. I do you don't know, know why the Do you know why the itch sensation exists? Why do we feel itchy? Isn't it to get rid of dead skin cells? It's to tell us if there's a bug on us. Oh yeah, makes sense. That's a better answer than mine. So you're we evolved to recognize that when we get that sensation, formication or itch or whatever, mm-hmm. when we get that sensation, our our animal brain says bug. Bug, get it. <laughs> get it. So isn't it normal that people would have that sensation and think, bug, get it? Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, there's a problem when, despite all evidence, you continue. Trust me, bug. To believe bug. But, like, that all fits. So it's hard. It, it's hard, Stuff. but you can't just write people off because they're difficult. You just got to work harder and work with them. But you can still throw as many verbal, not literal, but verbal rocks as you want at the people who will take advantage of those who are suffering and desperate and feel tossed aside. You know who I never hope feel tossed aside? Who? Our listeners. Oh, me too. Who are so supportive of us during the Maximum Fun Drive, and we so appreciate them. And uh, we really appreciate you for listening. Um, that's It's awful Thank swell you. of you. I think we're going to take next week off, um, but we will be back with you in two weeks after that and uh, i'm excited about it for one oh thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song medicine as the intro and outro of our program and uh thanks to to you for listening we sure appreciate it thank you uh until next time my name is justin mcelroy i'm sydney mcelroy and as always don't drill a hole in your head Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.